Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, sorry, be with your spirit. Thanks, Gareth, and um, I've heard about five different names for the book of the Bible that we're reading, and I'm going to go with Philemon, just to be clear. I'm going to keep going with Philemon, so um, not Philemon, which I'd been saying earlier in the week. Um, but we uh, welcome um, to, uh, I was going to say another warm welcome, I've been welcomed you at the start anyway, but another welcome to our Sunday um, live stream gathering. And uh, over, the last, uh, over the last week, we started our new um, sermon series, which is called Jars of Clay. We've 
to put a pin in um, the book of Acts, which we've been going through, and we're going to come back to that in September. Um, but we thought over this summer period we would have a look at some really um, some different people that we don't maybe look at or read or study in the Bible very much or hear of. And so we've called it jars of clay, ordinary people being used to do extraordinary things by God for the kingdom. And so we've looked at um, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 is kind of our, our tagline verse for this, which, which says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You see, we are all his jars of clay. We're all being moulded by the mighty potter, God himself, to be more like Jesus for his purposes, to fulfil his purposes for his kingdom and using, uh, using our lives to do that. What a better purpose is there than our lives being used for the glory of God? And last week we started by looking at Deborah and I can encourage you that if you've not listened to or heard that sermon, just have a look on the website. Um, It's available um, on the website for you to listen to. But we saw last week that Deborah was a woman of great character and of great confidence in God's word and of courage of living out her faith in action. She did the amazing thing of bringing salvation to God's people. God used her to do that saving them from their oppressors, the Canaanites, after 20 years of oppression. God used Deborah to do extraordinary things in his kingdom. And today we're going to look at another unknown, a more, an even more unknown person in the Bible, and we're going to see how this guy was a very unlikely fellow to be used by God. Uh, God moulds him to do extraordinary things for his kingdom. Well, when me and Nikki were thinking about naming our two children, um, we wanted to give their names, uh, we wanted names that had a significant meaning. And so we went for Ebenezer, believe it or not, that's not, we didn't take that from um, Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge, but we, we took that um, from 1 Samuel. Um, it means stone of help. And so our prayer for Eben is that he, Ebenezer would be that he would be a stone of help to other people with his, in his life. Um, Agnes Anna. Agnes means holy and blameless. Anna means um, grace. And so we want her to remember that she is holy and blameless only by the grace of God. And we pray that she would come to know Jesus. And so that would be true of her. And so these are quite big things to to desire for our children, for them to, to live up to in a way. But we wanted their names to have some significance so we could be praying these things over them regularly. And as we come to um, this uh, Paul's letter to Philemon, Uh, we meet uh, Onesimus. Now, his name in Greek um, means useful, profitable, or helpful. Names in the Bible tend to have a significance. But what we see in this letter in verse 11 is that Paul refers to him as as, as someone who's been useless to Philemon, a play on words. Someone that is supposed to be useful by very nature of his name is actually has been useless to Philemon. He had not lived up, Omnissimus had not lived up to his name. But something must have significantly happened in his life for him to become useless to Philemon. And so we're just going to set a little bit of context uh, behind this letter. Well, Philemon is a friend of Paul's. He is a friend of Paul. In fact, Paul was the person that brought Philemon to faith, they believe. Um, um, Philemon was a wealthy homeowner in the city of Colossae. And he had a house church, verse 2, it talks about the church in his house. And so Philemon had a house church. 
But something had happened in Philemon's life that Paul was addressing and was appealing to in this letter. And we see that in verse 9. You see, Paul's appeal to Philemon was for Paul's new spiritual child, Omnisimus. Someone that had actually become very useful to Paul. Someone that was um, incredibly integral to Paul, that Paul needed and wanted. So let's just see, where did his life begin and where does it end up? How does Omnisimus go from being useless to useful? Well, what we do know about Omnisimus is that he was a slave. He was Philemon's slave. And now to be a slave at that time would mean that you were the lowest in society. Um, You had no possessions. In fact, you were actually someone else's possession, but slavery was, is, was different back then in, in, in the Roman Empire compared to what we maybe think of slavery in the last few hundred years, which has been based on race. Whereas in uh, the Roman times, um, it wasn't based on race. There were many different races in the Roman Empire, and every different race had slaves of their own from all different races. In fact, 30% of the Roman Empire was made up of slaves. A further 20% had been slaves at some point in their lives. So over 50, so 50%, half of the Roman Empire were or had been slaves. And that was true of the, the house churches. You'd look around Philemon's church in, in, in Colossae, and you'd been turning around, and half the people would or have been slaves. And so people actually put themselves into slavery. If they ran up a debt that they couldn't pay, they would put themselves and offer themselves to go into someone else's household and work for them until that debt was paid. And so it was a normal occurrence. It was an everyday occurrence. And Onesimus was Philemon's slave. And we see in this letter that actually he becomes, goes from a slave to being friends of Paul, a friend of Paul's. Well, how does this happen? Well, they believe that Onesimus ran away from Philemon. He ran away and, uh, as a runaway slave and he headed to Rome. But as a runaway slave, that was a really, really serious crime. A really serious crime that was punishable by death. But he was also most likely a thief because it's a long way from Colossae to the city of Rome. He wouldn't have been able to get there unless he had some form of money and that would have only come from if he had taken something to pay for his way um, to the trip to Rome. But what we see is he must have been captured in Rome and he's placed in prison. And so his future was bleak. As a runaway slave, there was just a few options for him. He could be taken away and branded with the word fugitivis, I believe, in Greek. You may want to check that out. Which is a term for runaway slave or the word that we get today for fugitive. His life was basically over. He could have been used in the death games of the Colosseum. But there wasn't much hope for him. But what we see is God had other great plans for the life of Omnisimus. And I also found it interesting thinking that actually uh, Omnisimus would have heard the gospel each and every single week while he was in Philemon's house, as the church gathered there each week regularly. And so he would have heard the gospel. Maybe Omnisimus was running away from God as well. But God found him out. Even in a prison cell in Rome, God found him And we have to look, who does he end up in a cell with? The last person you want to end up in a cell with, if you're running away from God or even running away from your master, is your master's friend and the guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament. Paul points him to Jesus and he's saved. He receives Christ on his musters and he becomes a friend and a trusted assistant of Paul. 
He goes from being useless to useful to Paul. But you see, there are more things that Onesimus needed to do, wasn't there? He, it wasn't going to be easy, but he needed to go back home and he needed to face Philemon. He needed to be reconciled to him, to make things right. And Onesimus does go. And we read that in Colossians chapter 4, verse 9. We see that Onesimus travels with Tychicus and they, and they return with two letters. They return with the letter to the Colossians that we have in our Bibles today and then return with this letter to Philemon, this letter that Gareth kindly read for us. And what we see at the end is they are, they are reconciled. Um, he is welcomed home again. The beautiful picture of redemption, forgiveness and reconciliation. We're going to look at that in a little bit more detail shortly. And it's exactly the same picture of those of us that have received Christ. It's the same process that we went through. Redemption, saved from a debt we couldn't pay, forgiven of, some, of our sins and reconciled to God. We were formerly separated from him, but through faith in Jesus, we are now brought into God's family. And you see, this would be a pretty great story on its own, wouldn't it? A really heartwarming story. But actually, there's more. There's more to find out. And if you look at some of the historical ancient manuscripts, a guy called Ignatius of Antioch, who lived between 35 AD and about 100 AD, and this letter to Philemon was written between 65 and 70 AD, uh, um, Ignatius may not have known Paul personally but would have known of him Um, but what we see is Ignatius actually writes a letter to the bishop of Ephesus who happens to be none other than Omnissimus and Ignatius describes Omnissimus as a man whose love is beyond words this runaway slave goes through a process of restoration and redemption to be a pastor in Ephesus But not only that, to be a pastor of pastors. But there's also evidence that Onesimus was the person that collected all of Paul's um, letters that he wrote into one document. And so he preserved the scriptures that we have in front of us right now. You see, this is the beauty of God, that he uses useless people to become useful. He uses people that are ordinary to become extraordinary, people that are less than ordinary to become extraordinary. Isn't it encouraging that no one is out of God's reach to be used by him? See, God loves to use the insignificant things of this world for his purposes, to grow his kingdom. And so, so that the world knows that it's not our strength, but it's God, it's his surpassing power and his glory that is doing this for that purpose. No one is beyond his reach and there is hope for us all then, isn't there? No matter what you've done, No matter what's happened in your life, whatever struggles you're going through at the moment, addictions, fear, anxiety, anything, God can do a miracle in your life. There is great hope for everyone. Great hope. And so the question I want us to ask today is to spend a bit of time on is how was Onesimus transformed from being useless to useful? Just want to have a little look at that. There's the three things that we see in this passage that, that I think will be really helpful for us to hear today. Well, firstly, we see that Onesimus had a rescuer. Onesimus had a rescuer. You see, he needed a saviour. He needed Jesus. 
You see, sitting in that prison cell in Rome, Paul points him to Jesus and Onesimus receives Jesus in his life. And the Bible tells us that when we receive Jesus, you become a new man, a new person, a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All that Onesimus had done was done with and dealt with and um, forgiven. Can I just ask you this question today? Do you need a saviour today? Are you in a struggle or a battle or a fight and, and you think that there's, there must be more to life than this? Well, I can imagine that Paul was sat there in a cell with Onesimus and looked at him and just thought, there is more to life than this. There is more for you than this. You were made for more than this. Each and every single day I walk, well, five, five or six days a week, I walk up to the cafe, um, the church building, and as I walk up from home, every, there's not a day that goes past that I don't see um, one of these things or all of these things. Um, some aggressive behaviour outside one of the pubs. Um, s- someone high on drugs. Um, a group of people drunk. Some homeless people. And just this week as I was preparing this, uh, I just looked at them and thought, you were made for more than this. You were made for so much more than this. You just need a rescuer. You need Jesus. And I'm sure that you can all think of people, um, friends, colleagues and so forth, you think you were made for more than this. And it's true, they were. But also we need to remember that, that we are no different from Onesimus. Even if we, know, when we, if we know Jesus now, we are no different than Onesimus. We are no different than those people that we meet, that I see on the high street every single day, other than maybe we are able to deal with uh, these things a little bit better and the issues better than they are or more obviously than they are. But you see, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. It is only by the grace of God that we have been saved. And so when we come and see someone like Onesimus who has done something obviously wrong, there is a bit of us that's in him. We once were like him. It'd be good for us not to forget that as we go through this time. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all need a rescuer. And many of us that are watching today have received that rescuer in Jesus. But if you haven't, you were made for more than this. You were made for more than this. Well, secondly, we see that Onesimus had a reconciler. Onesimus had a reconciler in verses 15 to 19. It is absolutely amazing that Onesimus was truly transformed by Jesus, that he saved his life, moved him from darkness to night, made him a new creation. But Onesimus was still a fugitive. In the eyes of this world, he was still, everyone around him, he was still a fugitive. So he needed to go and do that incredibly difficult thing of going and facing his past, going and facing that thing that was really um, pulling him down. And all of us have things in our past that we're not proud of, things that we've done that we do need to have some peace about, peace brought about. Yes, we've been forgiven by Jesus and, and it's in the past. But sometimes there's a consequence of our sin, isn't there? That even though we're forgiven for it and we've moved on from it, there is still a time that we need to go and face our past or deal with the consequence of our sin ongoing that carries on through our life. Sometimes we might need a pull. Someone that is going to be there to help bring us back into relationship with others around us. See, there may be something in our past now that we look back on that we haven't truly dealt with, that we haven't faced up to. 
that is hindering us having that heavenly outlook, looking to Christ, looking that we are forgiven, not having to live in the, the, the past, but looking to the future. But maybe we need some help dealing with that and facing up to it. In John Barclay's commentary on um, Philemon, William Barclay's commentary, sorry, um, says, Christianity is not out to help a man escape his past and run away from it, but to help a man face his past and rise above it. Christianity is not out to help a man escape his past and run away from it, but to help a man face his past and rise above it. Christianity is never escaping, it is always a conquest. See, Onesimus needed someone, a friend on this earth, to help him, uh, to, to be an advocate for him, to stand between him and Philemon, to be a bridge between them, just like Jesus is the bridge between us and God and reconciling our relationship with God and making that right. He needed someone to help him do that here as well. And who was better placed than Paul? Paul, who was Philemon's, uh, the person that brought Philemon to faith. We see this in verses 15 to 19. I'm just going to read verse 17 to 19. So it says, So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even yourself. And that's because Paul was the one that brought him to faith. You see, Paul had a commitment to being a reconciler, a a huge commitment to it. That's the heart of reconciliation. He owes you, but I vouch for him. He is worth it, and he is made for more than this. He is true, his faith is genuine, his conversion was genuine, and I take the risk, Paul's saying, of of being an advocate for him. He owes you, but charge it to my account, please. You see... Paul knows better than anyone else about having a debt to pay. He was a murderer, a persecutor of Christians, gross abuse that he committed. But Jesus paid his debt. When he came to know Jesus, his debt was paid. Just as our debt is paid as well. For all that we've done, it has been paid. You see, when we have been reconciled to God's, We have all been given the ministry of reconciliation, to be reconcilers, that would go to the Onesimuses of this world and cling to them and bring them into the family of God and help bring them into the family of God. And I thank God for advocates. I think of the people that were around me when I uh, came to faith. There were four or five people over a period of time, even overlapping with each other, that, that really helped me look at my past, deal with some things, and clung on to me and pulled me into a church community. Well, of course, we've also seen in our sermon series in Acts that Paul had an advocate. He had someone who vouched for him when he wanted to join the church. The person that had been persecuting the church and, um, okay, and, and saying it's okay, and okay to murder Christians as well. Can you imagine the church leaders at that time saying, Paul wants to join the church? You what? He's just trying to infiltrate us so that he can um, arrest us. But that's not true. Um, that wasn't true, but it could have felt like that, couldn't it? But Paul had an advocate. Paul had... Um, had Barnabas. Now Barnabas's name is um, significant as well. It means um, it means son of encouragement. And boy, did he live up to that. He was an advocate for Paul. He says, 
um, I vouch for Paulie, pulled Paul with one hand and grabbed onto the church with the other hand and pulled him in and said, I vouch for Paul. His conversion is true. You see, the church is to be a place of reconciliation. It's to be that place that brings people into relationship with one another, that brings friendly relationship between one another, who helps people with one hand look into their past and deal with that, but also brings them into the church community to look to the future, to have that heavenly hope that they are now one of God's children. That is our role. But often, so often, some of these people tend to be those that sit on the outside, the periphery of our churches, just waiting to be pulled in and have that someone come and advocate for them, help them deal with their past. Maybe it is messy, maybe it's hard. But to pull them into that church community and have, help them remember what it means to be a child of God. So I want to encourage us, let's be a people that looks out for those people. Let's be a people that seek reconciliation and even on behalf of others, help them seek that reconciliation. Draw them into that welcoming, loving church community. So can I ask you, are there any onissimuses in your life? Maybe spend some time thinking, who could you reach out to? It's the great thing about our care groups and our gospel communities previously, but our care groups at the moment is that we want to be outward looking and caring for people during this time when we're not able to meet um, regularly with each other. Are there people that we need to be reaching out to to help them during this time that might be struggling with doubt and um, their past or anything like that? Wouldn't it be great if we all text someone this week and just encourage them and help pull them in and feel part of this church community, pointing them to Jesus? the forgiveness of sins that they've had. They don't need to be beaten by their past, but they may need to face it. Or maybe that's us this week. Maybe we are someone that needs to face our past that we haven't done that. We haven't truly done that. We've been playing at it. Seek someone out. Um, text someone. Reach out and ask for someone to help you, if you will. I pray that will be something that put on your hearts after this time. So Onesimus needed a rescuer. He needed a saviour, Jesus, didn't he? But he also needed someone to, in the church to be a reconciler between him and Philemon. But also, finally, we see that Onesimus had a restorer in verses 8 to 16. Onesimus had someone that uh, had a restorer. He had Philemon who, want, who was called to forgive him. He needed to be forgiven. He needed to make that long journey back and go with his tail between his legs and say, I'm Philemon, I'm so sorry for what I did to you. Forgive me, please. He needed to hear Philemon say, I forgive you, my brother. He needed that willingness to forgive. Because what, would have happened, what could have happened if he didn't, if Philemon didn't do that? Would Onesimus have gone on to do what he did? Maybe, maybe not. So we can probably see how this was going to benefit Onesimus. Forgiveness from Philemon meant that he wouldn't face prosecution, he wouldn't face death, he wouldn't be branded across his forehead. But equally, Paul knew that this was equally important for Philemon, that he got to experience what it means to truly forgive someone who's harmed you. In verse 8, Paul says, um, Paul says, I could, although, um, accordingly though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Paul knows he can command Philemon to do this because Jesus tells us to forgive others because we have been forgiven so much by our Father. But Paul doesn't want him to do it forcefully, out of, out of force, out of feeling he has to. We see in verse 14, but he wants Paul, um, he wants Philemon to do it of his own free will. 
Verse 14 says, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. See, Paul knows there's much benefit for Philemon to, be, to forgive Onesimus. Um, welcoming him back, reconciling to his brother in Christ, no longer his servant, but his equal in Christ. And I just want us to imagine for a few minutes, what would it have been like for um, Philemon and Onesimus in this situation? Put ourselves in the situation of these guys that were doing this. So for Onesimus, could you imagine going back to Philemon and saying, um, uh, struggling to look at him in the face, saying, I'm really sorry for doing this, Here's, here's a letter from Paul. Can you just read it, please? And then Philemon reads the words, and, ev- and the very person that brought you to Christ says, forgive Onesimus. He's been made new in Christ. What would he be thinking? What would you be thinking in that situation? How would you react? Would it, would it be frustration that you've been asked to forgive someone who's done something so drastically bad to you? Would there be annoyance that God has saved this guy who's harmed you? Or there's plenty of other people in our church that are more deserving to be saved by God. Sometimes I can, I can think, I confess, when I'm called to forgive someone who's harmed me. Or would, there have been that, or would it be joy that this life has been truly transformed? Joy that he's come back and sought that forgiveness. Would, there be, uh, would he have run out after him like we see the father... In the story of the prodigal son, who runs after the son, runs out to him and meets him and hugs him, was that the greeting that he got? We're not told precisely, but we do know he's forgiven. We do know he goes from being useless to Philemon to being useful. See, the church, God's people, are to be a people more than anyone else that are to be forgivers. Just as Jesus has done this great transformation work in our lives... God uses the church and his people to make ordinary people extraordinary through acts of practising forgiveness. Maybe we need to learn today what it means to truly forgive. So are you holding anything against anyone? A wrong that you feel you've been done? Maybe they know they've done it, maybe they don't even know they've done it, maybe they haven't done anything, but you're just feeling aggrieved about something. But the church of Jesus Christ needs and must be a place that says, I forgive you. I forgive you. You see, the price of unforgiving, of, being, of unforgiveness is devastating on those that need forgiveness, but also on the person that can't forgive. Just to really quickly finish with, I'm sure many of you know the story and the, the musical Les Miserables, and I'm sorry for my awful French accent there by Victor Hugo, but it's the story of a, of a prisoner named Jean Valjean. Um, he's finally freed after 19 years in prison by the prison officer Javert. Um, Valjean is um, kindly taken in by a bishop because he has nowhere to go, but um, soon Valjean um, assaults the bishop and steals lots of stuff from him. Later, Valjean is captured, well, quite soon after he's captured and brought back by the police to the bishop for him just to say, yes, it was this guy that did it and he would have spent the rest of life in prison. But what happens is the bishop doesn't condemn him. In fact, the bishop turns around and goes, oh, Valjean, my friend, you forgot the candlesticks. Go. A beautiful picture of forgiveness and grace. 
But you see, this amazing act of kindness did a huge thing in Valjean's life. He went on to do great things. He became mayor of a town, started a, a big business, and employed lots of people that wouldn't have got jobs otherwise. He did amazing things. But Valjean the, um, became, becomes the police um, in, a chief inspector and cannot forgive Valjean for what he's done and spends years and years trying to find him. And when he does, he can't forgive him and just tries to ruin his life. But what actually happens instead is Javert, because he can't forgive, ends up getting so frustrated and annoyed that he ends up killing himself. You see, unforgiveness can have, um, can have devastating effects. Maybe not to that extreme, but it certainly in our hearts can mean that we don't let go of things, we don't forgive people, we don't, um, we don't feel the freedom that comes from being able to do that. Can I encourage us? But if that's us today, if we're struggling with unforgiveness and not forgiving someone, let's pray to God. Remember what we've been forgiven so much. We are to pass that on to others. We are to be used to make useless people useful, to make the ordinary, extraordinary through this gift of forgiveness that we've been given to give to others. So, just as Ben starts sneezing over there, um, just to finish with, we're reminded of the part that we play in making heroes of the faith, the useless to useful, the ordinary to extraordinary. And we see that Onesimus had a rescuer. And so we want to be a people that point people to their saviour, Jesus. Most important thing that we do. Secondly, Onesimus had a reconciler. We want to be people that act as an advocate, that reconcile people together, that help them face their past and deal with the consequences of their sin in the present, but also pull them into that church community. And we also, we know that Onesimus had a restorer. We want to be a people that practice seeking forgiveness and freely forgiving one another. Let's pray. Father, I do pray um, for us today, Lord, that if there is anyone that is um, struggling in um, not forgiving someone, Lord, it's such a hard thing, isn't it, that we do struggle to forgive at times. Pray that um, we would remember just how much we have been forgiven. We remember just how filthy and dirty our rags are, how sinful we are, and how much we've been forgiven and are continually forgiven. I pray that we would want to seek to pass that on to others. I pray that we would reach out, being, uh, have our hearts stirred to reach out to those that are maybe on the periphery, on the outside, that just need someone to be their advocate and reconciler to help pull them back into community, to help them face the past. Lord, put those people on our hearts now, we pray. And I pray that as we go out this week, that we would feel refreshed and encouraged, that we'd be excited about being your people on your mission, with your word and with your spirit, to go and tell others about you. Lord, I pray that we would just be spurred on in our faith. Amen. Well, that concludes our time, our live stream time together, um, apart from the fact that we have our um, virtual hangout groups now. Uh, so if you would like to be part of a discussion group, um, if you just press the get involved button in a moment and then you'll move it onto that Zoom, into your Zoom groups. Um, but I just, yeah, so can I just encourage you um, to maybe think of some of the questions that we've talked about, some stuff that stood out to you this week and hopefully you'll be able to apply it uh, to our lives um, in the week ahead. Thank you and God bless for this week. Hopefully see you Wednesday.
creatures of our God and King. Lift up your voice and with us sing. 